Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Can I suggest a name for this podcast? Yep. Esther Cameron and the Half-Blood Prince. (laughs) All families are different, and growing up, I didn't always live with both my sisters. In this episode, we're talking to siblings who met as adults. My name is Nikki Campbell, and I am Esther Cameron's little half-brother, little half-birth brother, (laughs) Half-birth brother. Little. There we are. Will that do? Just older sister, or I can say older birth sister, or older half-birth sister. I'm Esther Cameron, and I'm Nikki Campbell's birth sister. I spoke to them together, but also separately, to get a more private take on the relationship. So I eventually rang her up, and almost like the second thing she said apart, like, oh, hello, it's lovely to hear you. She said, you have a brother. He's very famous. To find out from Esther that she'd had exactly the same experience was uh, something of an expiation for me in that I didn't feel quite so bad. I didn't feel, and also I didn't feel quite so alone. That's the thing. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Nikki and Esther, who was born Deirdre, met as adults after independently tracing their Irish birth mother, Stella. Both were left with complicated feelings after finding out they'd been adopted. Nikki's excellent new book, One of the Family, Why a Dog Called Maxwell Changed My Life, tells his whole emotional story of a breakdown and a diagnosis as bipolar. In this episode of Relatively Though, we talk more about the parallel experiences he and Esther shared and the bond they now enjoy as brother and sister. I was born in Edinburgh, like Nikki, so... My birth mother had come across to Scotland to safely give birth to us both. So I was born in 1959. And she had me in a boarding house in Portobello. So there I was for nine days with her, nine days with her and with a little dog called Toby who guarded me and barked at anyone who came near me. Such was the legend. (laughs) I was then handed over to a kind of nursery, which actually Nikki and I visited where I was for about 12 weeks, something like that, until being handed over to my mum and dad. And then I went to a nursery home, a baby home. I had been adopted, but I had the the decompression unit period of three months. And then I arrived at my, as they say in the adoption world, and it was indeed my forever home when I was 12 weeks old. So... I think they told me when I was seven or eight years old. I don't know why they decided at that point to tell me, but I can remember it feeling like a shock, like I had no idea. 
So they just told me that my birth mother lived in Ireland and was a nurse and couldn't look after me. And they described there being six babies that they looked at and they chose me because uh, there was some information that said my birth mother liked music and my mother was a music teacher. So, And then they said, don't, don't talk about it though. Oh, wow. That was quite confusing. So it was like, this is a part of you, but it's a part of you that can't be spoken about. You know, this, I still <laughs> notice that I have, this part of me is nervous about speaking about it. You know, it's quite uh, hardwired into me. As an adult, when you look back at your baby self, those nine days and those 12 weeks, how do you feel about those? I don't know, but I, well, I do know. See, the thing is, mum said I was chosen. And a lot of adopted people I've encountered, we understand each other with a look. And it lasts, the feeling that you don't deserve anything and you are an imposter in your own life. And you don't really know who you are sometimes because you don't know who you were meant to be. See, when mum said, I was special. And she told me the story of this amazing woman, this wise woman who couldn't have me in her tummy. And so we're, we're your mommy and daddy now. Mm. And so I had that narrative of you're chosen, you're special. But the thing about being chosen and special is that you're also different. Mm. How does it make you feel to think of you as a baby, sort of being placed there and holding, waiting for this family to come and want you? <laughs> well, I think what happens, you know, having kind of worked with this, you know, so I'm 61 now, I've been sometimes with that feeling of being the baby just waiting and not held, you know, that that sense of not being held. I think it's sort of wired in your body when it's something that happens that young. So I, f I can feel that sometimes if, you know, somebody's very angry with me or I mess up. I can feel that in my body and my skin, just that sense of trying to hold myself. That can still happen to me. Were you allowed to talk about being different? Because Esther wasn't. Well, I think I was told about it and told the story of it, but I, I didn't want to be different. So I probably played on the fact that I was special as well, being on the one hand very shy, but on the other hand occasionally, you know, precocious. But I think that I chose not to, and it got more of a deal as I got older. I didn't want to face it. I was I didn't want to be adopted. When people came in, my parents' friends, I knew that they knew, and they knew that I knew that they knew that they knew that I knew, and I had all that feeling about it. And I thought, and other people, I thought, do they know? But I was kind of okay. But I still had that lurking, slight sort of fear about it. Can you remember? You said you were. You remember feeling completely shocked. Hmm. Can you remember any of the other feelings that swilled around with that shock? Things like, so what is it going to take to be able to stay here? Maybe a sense of um, being on sort of borrowed time or having to do something specially different to be able to be loved and to belong. And is that because you think you had to sort of be continually chosen, if you see what I mean? Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, it's like, 
Yeah, better better turn out to be good at music then. I remember my mother always used to talk about the boy up the road who was very smiley. Look at look at that, David Crone. He's so smiley, and mm-hmm. so you know immediately. Okay, I need to do that. I need to put a big smile on my face. I think yeah. a lot of children do feel compared to other children, but I don't think they feel like if they match up, that will be contingent on their kind of security. Right, yes. It was almost <laughs> existential, but it's still there. You know, as Nikki has talked about a lot in his book, that's sort of not deserving things. One of those House of Fraser shops, alcove table, high tea, double figures. You're in double figures now. Didn't understand that. What does that mean? I spent the morning opening cards, shaking them, hoping that 10 bob notes would tumble out. <laughs> there is a very specific way of opening cards, not looking like you're looking for the money, but looking for the money. <laughs> it's an art form. It is. I remember I remember the high tea, I remember the ham sandwiches and the Coleman's mustard in a little dish. And then there was hullabaloo and a man came in with a cake and candles and everyone saying happy birthday to you. And I felt absolutely crushed. Like I didn't deserve to be there. And I cried. Oh. I thought I don't deserve this because I'm not meant to be who I am. Um, I'm meant to be somebody else. I don't know who that is. And all these things swirl around. You, you probably can't make sense of them, but they're there. I just remember it as if I'm sitting there now. I just thought that everyone's so happy, but do I deserve to actually join in or am I an observer at this feast? So your uh, parents told you when you were seven, eight about being adopted. At what point did you find out that you had a half brother who'd been born to the same mum? Weirdly, after I traced my birth mother and spoke to her, I just didn't imagine I had any siblings. All I was just going for was the mother, you know, maybe it just wasn't very imaginative. It was just, you know, let's meet the birth mother. Mm. You knew you were adopted and you knew that people knew and you knew that they knew that you knew and all of that. When did you know about Esther? Ah, well, I think I possibly knew early on, but it only was, I was reminded of it when I was about 16 and I was seeing girls and all gathering in a group on a Friday night and mum said I got to tell you something she was a psychiatric social worker incredible woman and she said look um rather cautiously are any of your girlfriends adopted I said no "Mm," because you've got a sister and I was thinking oh I said no no in case you felt drawn to that that person for sort of familial reasons. Yeah, all that teenage stuff, yeah. Mm. But then I, when I spoke to Esther, when we met, we sort of did that old Edinburgh, oh, do you know? And it was, oh, right, oh, wow, what a small world. Oh, well, it is a small world. Mm. Well, her friend Julia was her best friend, and Julia's little brother was a really, really great friend of mine, Matthew. She said, oh, I, t- I remember Matthew very well because I stayed with the Kreitmans one summer in 1978. And I remember all Matthew's friends coming back and watching the football every day. And well, I, that, that was me. Oh, God. How weird. I know. And I remember Julia and her friend popping in to get something as we lay in the snug 
smoking Benson and Hedges and watching Scotland losing football matches. Um, isn't that amazing? And I, I'd had a stillborn child just before that, you know, a few years before that, and then I'd seen a program on the telly where it was birth mothers talking about giving away babies, and I thought that it just made me cry so much. Mm. I thought it must be like losing a baby, like like my baby, like our baby. Mm. And so I was sort of compelled to just tell her, I'm okay, I'm okay. I sent her a letter, as you're supposed to do, saying, you know, do you remember anybody from 8th of October 1959? You're trying to be not too direct in case somebody else reads it. She just didn't reply. She told me later it was because of the publicity around Nikki finding her that she thought I was just a journalist. She just thought I wasn't serious. So I eventually rang her up and almost like the second thing she said apart, like, oh, hello, it's lovely to hear you. She <laughs> said, you have a brother. He's very famous. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. No, slightly out of joint, but <laughs> also like, oh, okay, that's interesting. What do you think it was like for her finding out that not only she had a half-brother, but that she had a half-brother that other people knew? That wasn't a private discovery. It was the discovery of somebody who was a little bit public property because she described that as quite a destabilising set of feelings. <laughs> it wasn't Brad Pitt. You know, it was a kind of C-lister at best. But uh, I've, I've actually never really considered that beyond the fact, how nice for her. <laughs> or how not nice if people go, ooh, Maybe. The interesting thing about your story of being adopted and belonging is the fact that your brother's a DJ that I listen to rather than Esther. God, this is a private affair Mm. of the heart. (laughs) Yeah, but there is always that thing about with one's birth relatives that you you didn't know, like whoever it might be, see what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. She did say she was impressed by you and felt a little bit lowly. She felt lowly, like, what have I done? compared to you and I said well he says you're very clever (laughs) in terms of comparisons you know you start thinking oh gosh you know I've done I've not done anything like that with my life you know you know maybe that's just continued that sense of um he's the younger brother who does all the tricks and is very smiley (laughs) and I'm the sensible older sister who just finds him annoying you know there's a (laughs) obviously that's not the whole story but that's definitely there I don't think we're quite past that stage yet, to be honest. Esther is extremely intelligent. She got a first in maths from St Andrews. <laughs> who who gets a first in maths? Geniuses. <laughs> God, oh, that's ridiculous. But so she's very analytical. And, of course, the management change consultancy that she does and the books that she's written are phenomenal. So she has such an analytical brain. She wants to always get under the surface. It's funny because everything I've read or listened to about him talking about you, he goes to sort of great pains to say how incredibly clever you are compared to him and how accomplished and how your brain is impressive. I know, isn't that sweet of him? I mean, I mean that's what he's like as well. He's like what I would call Pollyanna, you know, but so I <laughs> say, so, oh, it's quite hard having such a successful older brother, younger brother. Yeah, you know, you know sometimes he feels bigger than me as well. And he'll say, yeah, but you're successful. Yeah, but you're clever. Yeah, but he's like, here's a solution. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not hard, you know. It sounds like I'm whining on 
It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't at all. It is a thing. Of course it is. And I wondered if as well, I imagine it's a very intense sort of psychodrama in your mind and your heart, looking for your birth mum and then finding out you've got a birth brother. And then the fact that he's well known makes that very private thing not so private because you could say to quite a lot of people, my brother is, and they would say, oh, I know him. And you'd think that's very strange. Yeah, that's all been quite weird. You're quite right. And also because as I said earlier on, I wired to not speak about it. So, you know, when he started writing his first book, Blue-Eyed Sun, mm-hmm. yeah, it was quite difficult to just sort of calibrate for me. Like, how much do I want to be visible? I'm quite a private person. So it was sort of exciting and terrifying at the same time. But people would come up to me in the park and say, Oh, you're Nikki Camel's sister. You know, what's he like? And I, I go away. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Felt like very personal stuff suddenly being exposed. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you remember the emotions that you experienced kind of seeing her when you knew she was your half birth big sister? (laughs) I was very happy about it because we'd spoken on the phone. She's one of the easiest people I've ever known to talk to. You know, when you're really comfortable talking to somebody, it it brings out the kind of the the best in you in a sense. Yeah. Um, She wouldn't say that, but (laughs) Costello had rang me up in a state of high excitement and had said when Deirdre had, Deirdre was her given name. When Deirdre had traced Stella and then expressed an interest to meet me. And so we met and she came up the stairs. I was in a flat in Hampstead at the time. She came in and she looked at me and I think one of the first things she said was, oh, you're not very tall. That's pretty outrageous <laughs> because I'm five feet, 11 and three quarters. Uh, this, I don't want you to think this is a big thing. <laughs> I'm a tall woman. I know about men and right. their no, heights. No, I know. It's, it's not that. It's not that. Yes, I'm quite comfortable that. being... No, it's not. <laughs> it's I'm, always that. I'm quite comfortable. You know, it was relative because she had been expecting a kind of six foot five inch rugby playing Edinburgh brother. <laughs> All right. And so just in the way that I'd been expecting this saintly, wise generous mother. We all have these expectations. So tell me what it was like when you first saw him, skin and bone, flesh, 
like real life half brother. Yeah, I can remember, you know, just thinking, I don't think I've met anybody who was quite so much in the public eye. It just felt like being kind of parachuted into, you know, what's this going to be like? How do these people live? You know, <laughs> sort of fantasy, like, how much does he earn? And, you know, all these kind of slightly daily daily kind of questions. And, and you just wanted to sort of look at everything from that perspective, let alone the perspective of him being my half-brother. He was friendly and funny, and we just sort of got on. He had a, a piano, just the same as I have a Yamaha piano. Mm. But he was so fascinated by our toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was more fascinating to me, that we both played the piano. Maybe it just meant more to me because of the being chosen for the music. I don't think we're facially similar, although I saw a photograph the other day and for the first time I actually saw her face in mine. And I, I was very powerful because I'd never in all the time I've known her seen that. But anyway, we were looking connections with each other and we found one in our toes. For some reason I said, I've got a very distinctive second toe <laughs> on both feet. Off came the shoes and there we are, we compared them. Mm. So there we are. When you met him, did you feel kinship did you feel a kind of warmth towards him or was it more objective than that he's nice his house is nice oh a piano <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a roller coaster you know it's just thrilling you know it was thrilling to meet Stella just because you're just right on the edge of oh my god this is the woman who gave birth to me it's just incredible and I'm staring at her uterus area <laughs> it's like you mean I was in there you know it was the sort of the brother version of that like really not disbelieving but just like wow that's pretty amazing what would it be like Esther if there had been nobody to share your story if you had been Stella's only child what would that have been like well I guess the, the journey would just have been a bit <laughs> curtailed I don't like the journey language but let's lose it um, you know this has been the journey so I was telling Catherine that you know when I met Stella I was just expecting to meet a birth mother but then suddenly there's a brother and he's kind of bigger he's very famous <laughs> in her words and yeah, so that's that just, that what she said yeah. that's what she said yeah I didn't imagine you were in the broadcasting and entertainment business it's just broaden the whole thing out. Whereas I didn't so much get that with, with Stella, just because of, you know, what she'd been through and how she was really. Mm. You know, that was not what I was searching for. or So it all felt a bit new, like it was just questions in my head really. It was interesting to me that you started thinking about finding your birth mother after watching a programme where you identified with the mother more the mothers yeah. who'd given away their children. It seems like when you talk to me that you sought to understand her position right from the beginning. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it felt like the only way, really. You know, it's different between me and Nicky because he was looked after by her physically for 10 days, I think. Whereas I think she just avoided that with me. We're able to have maybe a slightly more detached relationship in a way whereas for him he felt it in his body that and just couldn't 
relate to her at all. Mm. It was more more intense. So you said that one of the things you bonded over was her telling you the experience of meeting Stella, her experience of getting in touch with your shared birth mother. Yeah. And how you felt reassured that it hadn't been perhaps what you're expecting mm. and that you felt a little bit more at liberty to share maybe if I'm allowed to say the word disappointment a bit of the disappointment is that true yes because it's crushing when you think you're going to feel something or think that you might feel something and you feel nothing you felt nothing yes it sounds very selfish to say that I felt nothing and so I did feel I hugely let her down. It was a joyful thing for her, but then it came too much. It became overwhelmed. She wanted to be my mum. I already had a mother, and then all sorts of guilt was swirling around about why I'd done it in the first place, and I felt disloyal, and I felt uncomfortable, and then she became overwhelming, and she became needy. I think she just wanted me to be immediately be her friend, and I feel touched by that now. It was just like I was a working mother. <laughs> get lost you know? <laughs> you know in my head obviously I didn't say that to her but she would phone every couple of weeks and it did feel a bit much and I, th- I think she tried to do the same with Nikki oh, I don't know it was just odd <laughs> and I can remember though when she got ill she phoned me and I think she'd had a stroke and she said she'd been lying there and that rattled me quite a bit you know and then after that she was not the same she had you know some kind of dementia Mm. Yeah, and then she died. To find out from Esther that she'd had exactly the same experience was uh, something of an expiation for me in that I didn't feel quite so bad. I didn't feel, and also I didn't feel quite so alone. That's the thing Mm. on it, in it, on it. It's such a double whammy though, isn't it? Being adopted in some ways that you have the feelings around abandonment and then the feelings around being an imposter in your own life. And then if you choose to find your birth mother, you may, you may not, but it sounds like you did. You had all of these feelings of disappointment and guilt. I mean, it's just a lot of feelings. So you're an imposter in your own life with your mum and dad, and then you find her, and then you're in something of an imposter in her life, and you feel abandoned by her, and then you feel that you're abandoning your mum and dad. I'm drawing a graph here <laughs> to try and work this out. I mean, life is full of feelings, right? Life for everybody is full of feelings. But these are to do with identity, these feelings, all of them. Mm. To me, it just sounds bewildering. Me too. (laughs) And that's part of it for you. Being bewildered. Yeah. Or being sort of a little bit lost in your sense of self in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. It's helped, I think, I'm in a very happy family. I've got four beautiful daughters and I'm medicalised. So things are a bit more stable. I'm medicalised but not blunted. Stella was bipolar, so I see that as it's one of those connections that it's not a good connection, it's not a bad connection, it's a meaningful connection. Will these things ever be fully resolved or are you resigned to these things, as you say, just, I don't particularly like the expression, it is what it is, but is there an element of, this is my history and my story and I have to somehow accommodate that? Yeah, well, I'm not having therapy or anything like that. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's fine. I'm dealing, you know, I deal with it and I, I get on with my life and I've got very exciting absorbing jobs and, 
not necessarily it is what it is, but it's a part of me. It is me. And as long as I can deal with it, um, that's fine. You know, mm. that's, that's fine. And have you had therapy to talk through some of this? Um, I've had bits of therapy, yeah. I also belong to a retreat school, which is not therapy. It's more like sort of helping you to, I guess, find your your true self. That sounds very kind of <laughs> weird. It's not weird. It's very good. And I've, I've met other adopted people. And just so it allows you really to see these layers. And once you're aware of them, they don't control you so much anymore. They're still there. I guess it's like, you know, anything that you pick up along the way in childhood. It's just that it's so early that it is rather difficult to, you know, entirely get away from for some reason. There is that push and pull with mothers, isn't there? Especially mothers who might have disappointed yeah, you. Yeah, I really get it, you know. And so when she did pass away, you then went over to Ireland with Nikki for the funeral. Mm. What was that like? It was, it was quite strange. Yeah, we were offered a chance to see her lying at rest. I don't know the expression because I've never never done that before, seen a body like that. And both of us said, no, we can't do that somehow. Hmm. That was just too much. I felt I was surrounded by strangers who looked like me. It was a, an adoption nightmare, the whole thing. I've, I felt really uncomfortable from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Stella's brother's widow said to me you must go first because you're the firstborn so as we went in the funeral procession it just really touches me as I say that 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 was Mm. right no idea why I get tearful of that (laughs) I can understand that's right I'm the firstborn and then Nikki carried the coffin with the men and that just felt so right just that was our place and I remember it was very moving and carrying the coffin and we weren't actually fully explained to a lot of people we were just kind of there it was sad that the vicar couldn't mention who we were but you know that's when you get back to just the culture and the realities of life in Dublin I guess in those days and I, yeah. I love the detail that Nikki wrote about that, you know, she said in her letters, all the people that mattered knew. And so you were seen in her telling those people and you were seen in that moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with it, without shame, without her shame. You know, all that difficulty was all over. Yeah. So it was good, good in that way. So I couldn't wait to get to the airport and um, have a gin and tonic and fly home. We did take a bit of a lull after Stella died. I mean, that does take away some of the the structure. I hadn't really thought of that before, but I think it did take something away and we had to find our way again. You know, as I was looking at the, the length of our relationships, it's 24 years, but it feels more like about five years. And so we're now, we're now effectively sort of 13 years old or something. I find it very easy to talk to you and... Um, maybe I do kind of slot into that little brother thing, being as I am a little brother. But, you know, I think there is something, I think Esther's right, there is something frozen in time, like blood in amber in Jurassic Park. And um, obviously I get frivolous, 
and trivial. Obviously. Trivialous <laughs> and frivial. Trivialous. So it sort of feels like you don't sort of progress and still, you know, we still, sometimes, Nikki, you accuse me of being competitive. Uh, that's still true. Are you there, Nikki? Yes, I am. I'm about to storm out, but carry on. <laughs> you see the sort of thing. I'm on the, br- I'm on the brink. I'm just- even if you haven't had all of those years together, you're intimately connected in a way that's profound, right? Yeah, we share a story. Yeah, we do share a story. I was going to say, this might not be a good ending, but did you say that I'm a change consultant? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, Got your book up there. So there's something about, there. for me, change um, happens one conversation at a time. And I think that's how our relationship has been. It's just like one conversation at a time. There've been some really good conversations and that's how you build. Hmm. That's how we've built the relationship, not really by tremendously involving other family members. It's been by just trying to get to know each other and build some trust and yeah. Yeah. Is that your dog or my dog? It's my dog. Sorry. Do you want me to shoot it? No, no, it's completely fine. I just thought my, it was my dog. Um, no. <laughs> she de- definitely thought there was a sense of possibility of kind of opening up. Could you be oh. quiet, please? <laughs> Don't work. Judy? Judy, can you get a dog in? Just recording a uh, podcast. Thank you to Nikki and to Esther. Next week, it's the comedian I hear Shah and his sister Tash, who talk about being funny, having a big age gap, and the difference between a baby brother and a tiny tears. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Mixonics, and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Thank you too for listening. If you want to see some pictures of Nikki as a baby and him and Esther, or to find out more about the podcast, please go to relativelypodcast.com. Please do rate and review this podcast wherever you found it, as it helps others to find it too. Or you know what? You could just recommend it to your brother or sister. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Staying by the fireside. Another rain may fall. Your father's calling you. You still feel safe inside. Only your mom's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you. You still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, this didn't do enough for you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 